0: All right, the New York Rangers are coming off another disappointing defeat. Uh, it seems to go that way now. Uh, play great one game, play lousy the next. This one, though, had a little bit of a twist to it as Henrik Lundqvist was bench in favor of Kim Talbot, who's uh, been in the league now for about two months uh, and has been a Ranger since Marty Biron's retirement. And joining me to talk about the state of the Rangers now two months through the season is Kevin Delory of New York Rangers blog, nyrangersblog.com. Kevin, how's it going today? Good, man. How you doing, Neil? I'm doing well. Thanks for your time today. And I guess you know we have to start with what happened on a Monday night against the Jets at MSG, um, and and the elephant in the room, which is Henrik Lundqvist getting benched. And I know from what you've written online that it, it's you can look at it in a variety of ways, but no matter how you look at it, Av, a coach uh, just two months into his Rangers tenure, decides to put the guy on the bench who's been the the, the backbone of the Rangers' success for the last eight seasons.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with the decision because of how well Talbot's been playing, and obviously Lundquist has been struggling, but, but boy, that, that is a risky, risky decision. Like you said, I mean, he's only a couple months into his tenure, and, he, and he's sitting sort of the ranger, the guy who's sort of been uh, the stalwart with his team, the backbone of the team, And he's sitting on the bench. A lot of people wanted to sort of, you know, poo-poo it, and oh, you know, we finally have a good backup, and that's what happens. No, that's Henrik Lundqvist. You know, you don't sit Henrik Lundqvist. It's a, you know, he was, you know, legitimately a healthy scratch because he hadn't been playing well, and and you know, it really could have gone the wrong way. on uh... you know for Vigneault, and and the best thing to happen was probably that they lost because you know that was sort of the shortest goaltending controversy you know in the history of the NHL because it's sort of over now. I mean lundquist is going to be back in there on Thursday, and they sort of move forward. You know, you just hope that it was a wake up call for lundquist again. Like I had said. He's been struggling a bit. I mean, it's not like his numbers are terrible, but he hasn't been Lundqvist-like. He's sort of the victim of his own success here. So, you know, hopefully he took it as a challenge, and, and uh, you know, going forward, we see the old Lundqvist.
0: Watching the game against Boston last Friday it looked you know he didn't look he didn't look right and when the Rangers took that two to one lead and Boston came out in the second period uh, sort of dominated the play the rest of the game and he was sort of jumpy and and he did make a comment after the situation with the benching for Talbot where he said that he thought he was anticipating plays too early and maybe jumping around a little too much in the net and not being patient enough and I thought that was clear against Boston on Friday. Um, you know, you said the best possible situation happened here now where they lose a game, uh, Talbot gives them four goals, they lose five to two, and now you just go back to Lundqvist and uh, you go go about your business. But in a hypothetical world, what would have happened had they won and had they beaten the Jets?
1: Well, that was, that's what I mean. That's why it was such a risky decision because say Talbot goes out there and shuts out the Jets, I mean, you have to play him on Thursday. I mean, there, AV's, you know, reasoning for playing Talbot against the Jets was he gave them the best chance. Well, how does Talbot not give them the best chance on Thursday in against Buffalo if he just shut out the Jets? I mean, you'd ha- he'd almost have to sit Lundquist again. I think at that point, if you sat him, um, you know, another game, a third-street game, you know, that would have been a problem. And, and to Lundquist's credit, he took it like a man – you know, he stood there and took every question the other day, answered everyone, uh, not, wasn't snippy with anyone, didn't have an attitude, didn't baden out the coach, didn't baden out Talbot. So, you know, I give him a ton of credit for standing in there, um, you know, and taking his medicine. And, and you know what? This is what happens. You, you do finally have a, you know, a good backup. And, and if you're not ready to go, listen, you know, some, you may have to sit a couple games. But, you know, like I said, it was, it was definitely, definitely a shocker. But, uh, you know, if it would have went that way, um, it definitely would have been interesting for sure.
0: For me, Lundqvist has been in the zone with the way I view, like Derek Jader, Mariano Rivera, Eli Manning, and and certainly he hasn't won, so he's he's not guaranteed the spot that they have. But it's hard for me to criticize the guy, especially since what he's done post lockout for the Rangers. And, you know, looking at what's going on this season with the contract disputes and everything, and and people talking about how Tom Rennie first, uh, you know, turned the Rangers around and John Tortorella, to me it was Lundqvist that turned this team around. And now with these contract negotiations sort of lingering, something that I thought would have gotten done in the offseason, um, what do you think we're looking at? Is this something that that could get done at any point during the season? Or are we now looking at where it's going to be, you know, the, he's going to go to the highest bidder?
1: Yeah, exactly. I think the, the contract is, has led to a a lot of this stuff. I mean, he's seen rumors that he wants, you know, a max deal, you know, $10 eight-year contract, which which is ridiculous. I think, and in in, in what hurts Lundqvist, especially with Ranger fans, and, and Ranger fans are some of the smartest around. I know we overreact to a lot of stuff, but we're very astute when it comes to hockey. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of the Ranger fans realize that this is the salary cap era here. And you can't give, and Lundquist will be 32 at the start of next season, so you can't give a 32-year-old goaltender an eight-year contract. So I think a lot of that goes into, and and it's been strange, like you said. I mean, you put Lundquist up there with all the, you know, uh, great New York sports athletes. Um, Again, you know, he hasn't won the championship, but I think you do put him up there. And you have fans now sort of turning on the guy a little bit this year with his, with his uh play struggling a bit, with the contract demands that you're seeing, and I don't even know if he's actually asking for that, but that's sort of what's out there. Um you have the backup and, and whenever the backup is doing well, he's always the darling of the town. So, you know, it's sort of all stacking up against Lunquist now. So Seder is a shrewd guy when it comes to contracts with his with his own players. He usually likes to try to lowball them. You see that a lot, especially with the restricted free agents. You saw that would step on, he wouldn't budge. And I think you might see that here with Seder as well. I, I think he has a number in his head. You know, he has a length of a contract in his head. You know, and as long as Chris isn't going to move, this, this thing may drag out, you know, past the deadline or, you know, it, when if it, if it isn't finalized by the deadline, that is going to be a Big decision for Saylor to make. I mean, what do you do at that point? I mean, if you're not 100 percent sure that you're going to sign Lundquist, I mean, do you actually look to move him then? I mean, because what happens if you lose him for nothing in the off season? I mean, I'd rather at least if Saylor has the feeling he can't re-sign him, try to move him and get something. I mean, if you're going to lose, I mean, if you don't lose Lundqvist for nothing, that's a blow to the Rangers organization because I think you can get a pretty good return. You're never going to get equal value for him, but. You know, I, I, to be honest, I have no idea what's going to happen, but, you know, as a blogger, I mean, it's just going to be, and, and a fan too, but, you know, I, on the other side, as a blogger, it's going to be real, real <laughs> interesting to watch. Um, and and see what
0: happens. You mentioned how you know we could be looking at the a chance that Lundquist does move in the off season, does go somewhere else, uh, which sort of goes against what he represents in his image and the way he you know sort of has become the face of this franchise in New York. But you've written recently uh, several times about also the possibility of losing Ryan Callahan, so we could see the face of the, of the Rangers since post lockout and the captain go in the same offseason.
1: Yeah. uh, Again, it's sort of crazy the way this is all stacking up. The Rangers have all these contracts that are expiring at the end of the year with some big name guys. I mean, you're talking about, you know, like you said, Callahan, Longquist. You have Girardi also, and I think a lot of it is going to have to do with where the team is at come that trade deadline. If they're still Meyer's mediocrity, and that's where they are now at five hundred. I mean, you know, let's call it spade of spade here. They're they're just not a good team right now. You know, if this doesn't change, they don't go on a run, and they're just sort of meddling in the in that five hundred area. You know, if feeder, you know, he may just say, "I've had enough of this," and then who knows? Maybe he looks to blow the whole thing up, and he says, "Listen, I'm going to try to get rid of all these guys, of all these expiring contracts." You have the salary cap that's going to be going up next year. You can amnesty Richards at the end of the year, and now he has a ton of money. Now the free agent pool, I don't think is too strong this coming year. So you know it's a bit of a risk to do to that, obviously. Um, But you know you have all these big name guys in there, and and you actually you do you have a lot of Ranger fans out there who are like, fine, get rid of them. I don't want to pay. I don't want to give Callahan a. Six-year, seven-year contract. He's injury-prone, as we all know. And what is that contract going to look in that fifth, sixth, seventh year? It's going to be terrible. It's going to be an albatross. I mean, look at Richards. The guy's in his third year. We can't wait to get rid of the guy. What's going to happen when Callahan is at that point? You know, Wonkrist is in that you know sixth, seventh, eighth year of his contract when you know he's in it, you know thirty-eight years old. You know, breaking down all the time. I mean, it's it's a real concern for for Ranger fans. You know the astute fan who realizes what a contract can do to the to the future of the team. I can really you know handcuff them down the road to bring in some scoring. And as you can see, you know, Luckwist and Talbot, you know, they're the big story and what's going on. I mean, they're not the problem with this team. Goaltending is not the problem. Scoring, as it always is, is the problem with this team. So when you invest that kind of money into a goaltender or into a Ryan Callahan, an injury-prone person. You no, know, again, that's really going to hamper what you can do down the road to bring in you know, an, another elite score to, to help out with a Rick Nash.
0: Two years ago when the Rangers lost in the conference finals to the Devils, it seemed like that season, uh, for them to have the year that they had to get the one seed in the East, uh, so many things went went right for them uh, over the course of the year. So many, you know, late game wins, overtime wins, shootout wins, come from behind wins. And that's why at that time in that uh, season in February of the trade deadline, I was all for going after Rick Nash, going after him hard, even if it meant dealing Chris Kreider. Um, And, you know, looking back on it now, I still feel that way, even though Kreider sort of emerged and and starting to break out under AV's system. Um, You just don't get those chances that that often. You don't get that many seasons where the stars align, you win back-to-back Game 7s in the first two rounds of the playoffs. Uh, and And it looked like at that time the Rangers had the right core going forward; they just needed that one that one extra piece, and that was nash and now we 're sort of a season and a half uh you know give or take because of the shortened season last year um with the team plus nash and uh, How do you think it 's gone so far, and do you think that you know I know you just mentioned? possibly blowing this thing up due to contracts at the end of the season. But do you think they're headed in the right direction? Or are they sort of, you know, standing still and, and the wheels are spinning in place and this is a team that's destined to lose in the first or second round?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think they are. I think I, I, not, I don't feel good about this team at all. I don't feel good about what Saylor has done since that Eastern Conference final, finals appearance. I mean, he's taken, you know, based, like you said, the heart and soul of this team and he's gotten rid of it. And I understand you have to give up assets to bring in a Rick Nash. You have to get rid of a Dubinsky and an Anisimov um, you know, to do that. And I get it. And, and Rick Nash is a great player. But, you know, and, and Tortorella said it a number of times last year. You know, the organization, I don't think, realized how important guys like that are, you know, or were to that team or, you know, to a winning team. A Brandon Pruss, a Mike Groff, but, you know, all those guys who did the dirty work, the tough work. I mean, this team has no physicality to it, there's no edge to this team, there's no passion, you know, where is that guy, I mean, you have Dorsett, who's the only guy out there who, you know, will fight for a teammate, who will go in the corner and throw a hit, I mean, the rest of the guys out there, is, you know, most of the time, you know, it looks like they're just going through the motions, and, you know, very inconsistent, just, they don't, it doesn't seem like they have that drive or dedication that that team had a year and a half, And and the thing that bothers me with Save is he got rid of those guys, those, you know, those, the guys who did the grunt work, you know, those are the guys who, who win you championships. And they don't have those guys on the team right now. So, yes, I do think they're sort of spinning their wheels right now. You know, they. I think that they do need to make a move to bring some of that toughness back. You know, I don't know if it needs to be an enforcer, but they need to add toughness to the lineup. It means a lot. That year, they led the league in fighting majors. Now, a lot of people, you know, will argue, you know, whether one has any influence on the other. I think it does. Um, So uh, I think if they could maybe bring in a guy like that, get rid of some of the dead weight on the team, like a Piet, like a Puyat, you know, those guys are just literally not doing anything. Even though Brassard, I mean, that guy was, he really, you know, played well when he came over here with the Rangers last year. But I just think he exceeded what he what he is and, you know, what he has been. I mean, most people in Kuala, you know, you talk to a Blue Jackets fan, they'll look at his season, they're like, yeah, that's what he's all about. He's an enigma out there, you know. you will get a great game, and then you won't see him for a week. So, you know, uh, uh, that major core that they had a year and a half ago is gone. And I put that on Caesar. I mean, he legi- he took an Eastern Conference Final Championship team and he turned them into the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> I mean, you know, we got them all spread out all out to the lineup. And even on the coaching staff, they bring Arnie Allen, who's, you know, you know, he's good, he's done a good job with the power play, don't get me wrong. But, you know, there were rumors that Broussard had, had uh you know issues with him and and maybe some of the other guys they're like hey, why would you bring that guy in there if you heard that these guys had some type of bad you know a bad pass with them it's it, you know a lot of decisions since that year have, have definitely ha- have been a head scratcher
0: well, I thought during that year that while they were, you know, people will cite them being two wins away from reaching the Stanley Cup final and playing the Kings, it just felt to me like they were actually farther away from that, and that, you know, so many things, like I mentioned, broke right for them. And to win back to back game sevens, to be trailing 3 2 in playoff series, come back and win, um, it just seemed like everything went right now. I do think that with the Nash move, they were going in the right direction. I think last year in the playoffs, I expected more out of them, but it, it was the moves down the stretch last year that sort of tailored toward, uh, you know, what John Tortorella wanted and trading Mary Gabrick and getting all these Blue Jackets here. Um, it, it just didn't make sense if Tortorella was going to be the guy ended up, who ends up going, which I'm sure at the time they didn't know that when they traded Gabrick. But it seems like, you know, 40 goal scorers don't uh, really grow on trees and they could use one right about now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's typical, you know, ranger you know, transactions on the You're just not sure what direction you're going in. Yeah, you brought in this depth last year. That they were lacking, you know, because of letting guys like Prusko and Fede go and and John Mitchell go. It's like, all right, let's bring in a Dorset and a brassard and a John Moore, and and it did. It gave him a boost last year, and I give him credit. But then you get rid of the coach you thought, you know, mixed well with that group, and you bring in Vigneault, And if you saw him today, I think Vigneault is finally coming to the realization. What Tortorella did when he first came, you know, I don't have the talent. To run the offensive schemes that I want to right now, because it's just not working. I don't have that talent. So you know, he said it I think last week, where maybe we have to win two one games. We have to start grinding out wins. And and I'm like smacking myself in the head. I'm like, this is like Tortorella Part Two. You know, this guy who comes with you know safe a uh, safe his death attitude on offense, and he has to turn into the shot blocking slough it in on defense and and you know, grow, you know, win these defensive battles all the time and now all of a sudden I'm hearing Dinyolu who's supposed to come in here and turn the offense around, sort of talking the same way now um... It's 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 scary. You, you would have thought that Caesar may have wanted to hire a coach that fit the lineup a little bit better um, than Vigneau has. But you know now you're taking this offensive guy and and you may, and you you're turning him into almost a defensive guy because he's looking around, going, okay, I have a Dan Girardi, not much offense there, and a, you know a Tavon who's a grinder, and you know these guys are just these are guys who aren't who really succeeded on the Tortorella and they're having a tough time on the Vigneau right now. So it's it's a, a bit of a mishmash here, and and, and uh, I think that's leading to the inconsistencies that we're seeing.
0: Well, now AV's got two months under his belt, and like you said, we expected to see what the Vancouver Canucks brought to the table all these years, that he led them... Uh you know to the one seed several times before failing in the playoffs but yeah we're we're seeing guys you know when they're not blocking shots now uh, like they did against the jets they turn into a losing effort and uh, i don't want to see you know elite goal scorers sacrificed as pylons and cones and taking you know slap shots to the ankles from the point but uh, it seems like his offensive system isn't tailored for the lineup they have probably won't be because I, I don't know really how much they can tinker how, how much they can move guys around to make this team that much more offensive so <laughs> after 2 months i mean what type of grade how do you view the job that Vigneault's done
1: yeah it, it, it's hard to say i mean i always wanted i, I think it is too soon to, to say he's doing a good job or a, a bad job cuz you know he's sort of saddled with this lineup that doesn't fit fit his game plan so it's hard to critique him that much or it will you know sort of Get on him a little bit is these guys just don't seem motivated in the game. As I mentioned before, they don't sort of have that passion. They don't come out on fire in these games. You know, it's it's one dud after the other. I mean, you'll get a a big game the other night uh, or the other afternoon when Tortorella was in, but I, I, you know, give that more to Tortorella being in the building than anything Vigneault was doing. So, you know, I, I think he has to be a little bit more of a motivator. I know his. M.O. is sort of leave the locker room to the players and fare their business and let them, you know, take care of things. But I think he has to stick his nose in it a little bit more. And maybe you saw that today where he was questioning the core of the team, you know, how they're not getting it done and they need to start leading. So, you know, I, I do like that. I mean, I, I think he may be sort of adjusting a little bit to the team, which is good. Uh, you know, you always want a coach to adjust, and that was always the problem with Tortorella. He was sort of, you know, had on his way, and and that's what really tuned a lot of the players out. So you see, Vigneault sort of adjusting a bit. Not that I want him to. I mean, the idea was to bring him in to run this great offense. But you know, and now, like I had mentioned, he's bringing it back to more of a defensive thing. So, but I did like I do like him calling the players out a little bit. You know, when when they need to. Although it is sort of ironic that that was sort of the thing that got Tortorella sort of thrown out here. Uh, you know, with his, you know, how Hagelin is terrible on the, on the power play and, and that type of thing. And, and you've seen Vigneault call out Longquist, you have seen him. he called out Puyo saying his head is in the clouds and now he's sort of going after the core a little bit. So it's sort of, sort of ironic that they brought in this sort of player's coach and he's already calling these guys out, you know, three months into his tenure. But, uh, hey, listen, it has to be done sometimes, so I do like that aspect. But I like to see him be a little bit more of a motivator. You know, I give him, you know, a B- so far in the season. You know, these guys are, bottom line is these guys are at 500. You know, I mean, you could have bought any other coach in here and you'd get him at 500. He's not really doing anything special right now.
0: No, I agree. And I think, you know, when I look at the 500 mark, when I look at the 14 to 14 mark, I sort of take it as, um whatever happened you know on the west coast and that that lengthy road trip to start the season with the msg renovations they they came back you know they're three and well they lost the home opener to fall to three and seven but you know since then they're they're 11 and seven which is is respectable um given the fact that they were without lundquist for a couple games they were on that crazy road trip they were without nash for most of the season so far so not bad there um but like you said you know it is ironic that the way it's sort of repeating itself now with with Vigneault and with Tortorella, the way they coach, uh, he's realizing that the things he did in Vancouver aren't going to work with this group. I was hoping entering the season that with him as the coach, they'd get away from the score one goal and hope Lundquist can stand on his head mentality. But it looks like we're going to be probably putting up with that the rest of the season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately Lundquist isn't standing on his head this year. (laughs) So that that, that, that could be a problem. You know, we're finally finding out and, you know, I think we always said where would we be without Lunquet? I this year we're finding out where the Rangers would be without him and you know it's tough, especially when you're not scoring goals. I mean I'd love for once, you know, for this team to bail him out, you know, when he gives up four or five goals. How about scoring six goals for once for the guy? I mean the guy has bailed him out so so often. So yeah, I mean it is definitely disappointing, you know, that you have Vigneault in here and they're still, you know, Scraping, you know, for every single goal. I mean, it's you know, it's really frustrating for Ranger fans. I feel like they, they've been worse than eleven and seven.
0: I, I think the biggest point, uh, you know, I, I think you alluded to it earlier, was with being a five hundred team. I mean, you're going to win one, lose one, pretty much is what they're doing now, alternating and. The thing with them is that you see the spirited effort they gave in Boston, uh, fighting back to take the lead, entering uh, the end of the first period there. Then they sort of, you know, were nowhere near the same team in the second and third. They come out and have this great game against Vancouver. And then, you know, 48 hours later, they're, they're losing to the Jets at home and letting, uh, you know, old pal and beat them. So, to me, it just it's, I, I think, you know, you mentioned motivation. I think that's a big part of it. Um, I think just, you know, finding the right combinations, the right line combinations so that we're not going through these constant changes, which is another thing just uh, like Tortorella used to do where, you know, you see the guys, uh, you know, doing line drills together in warm-ups and by the next game they're playing with guys they've never played be- with before.
1: Yeah, I you know, I again I think it just goes back to Vigneault just trying to figure something out with this lineup. I mean, he's just he's he's looking around and he he doesn't have the Sedin points. He doesn't have Kessler anymore. So you know, he's got to see how he can get offense out of guys like you know Brassard who who just haven't been go scoring. I mean, even Step on. I mean, the guy was you know their leading point getter last uh, second leading point getter last year and. You know he is—he has is been disappointing. You know, I, I guess sitting at you know his holdout held him up a bit, but but still, I mean we're you know we're into December now. He should be you know playing a little bit better now. So yeah, I, I actually to be honest, I had a bit of a complaint with him staying with lines a little bit too long. I think he stayed with that Kreider step on Zuccarello line a little bit too long, where he should have put Nash on that line for Zuccarello. So. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, you know, into December, he's still trying to figure it out, which is sort of scary. Um, you know, I don't know if that goes back to his, you know, when he came in, a sort of clean slate mentality where he said he didn't want game film on the players from last year, which is, was sort of odd to me. And I, I think that really put them behind the eight ball to go along with, as you mentioned, the, the trips out west. And he, you know, the training camp was more evaluation for him than getting ready for the season at any point. And it's sort of like they've been. We're getting ready for the season in the season, <laughs> and they almost and they almost still are. And uh, you know, a lot of things really set them back. And you know, I really didn't like that sort of mentality that Vigneault had. I mean, just go back to your question before. Things that I didn't like about Vigneault. I I, I think he got started too late with his team. He could he just stayed on the evaluation process for too long. And yeah, the trip was tough. And he's getting to learn a new roster, but. You know, he really needed to get that team sort of ready to go, maybe a week earlier in training camp. But they were in that last game in Vegas, and and you were still trying to figure out what was going on with the team and the lines and who's actually going to end up on the roster. So I think that really set them back as well. And and they sort of not figured it out. Like you said, I mean, they're still moving guys around, moving pieces around. The injuries haven't helped, but um, you know, they got they have to find some type of chemistry here and, and figure it out cause no, it's it's getting late early.
0: Well it is and uh fourteen and fourteen that's that's not gonna cut it, certainly it's certainly not in this city. Uh Kevin, I appreciate the time and you know, we'll have to do this again soon, maybe after the holidays check in and hopefully the Rangers have uh crept away from five hundred and uh hopefully we don't see that number again.
1: It'd be nice if next time we talk have the penguins in the in the great metropolitan division.
0: <laughs> All right, Kevin. Thanks again. I'd like